This podcast should not be considered medical advice. If you are looking for medical advice, please contact a licensed physician, but do find someone that has a brain and can think critically about what's going on in the world today. This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the Common Collective, as well as why the Common Collective resists new information. Let's talk a minute about a hypothetical situation. A young couple have their first child, a son. That son, by all accounts, is born healthy and thriving. The boy enters his first months of development and does quite well. He even learns his first words relatively easy, with his very first word being elephant. But they did notice that he seemed to lose his words and also stopped looking them in the eyes. But this was their first child, and as they attended their wellness visits with the pediatrician, they were told that he was fine and that they were sure any challenges would be things he would grow out of. As he continued to grow into a toddler, the couple are told by the husband's mother that she thought the boy may have a hearing problem because a barking dog had been right behind the boy and he didn't even flinch. The grandmother had combined that information with other types of detachment signs that she had noticed while spending time with him. She advised the couple to get a hearing exam done to see if her impression had any merit. The young couple proceeded to have the hearing test done at the local children's hospital, and the doctors performing the testing relayed that the brain appeared to be responding and experiencing the sounds from the test. As a result, they didn't believe any hearing issues existed, but they did inform the parents that they may want to look into getting assessed by someone in behavioral disabilities. They didn't go into much more detail as to why, but they did say it wasn't the first time parents had come in under these same circumstances, and it ended up being something more related to that of autism and not a hearing impairment. The couple made an appointment for their son to be assessed, and after several weeks of waiting, the results came back and confirmed the autism diagnosis. The couple then sought those diagnosing resources to make recommendations as to how they could help their child and hopefully reverse what appeared to be happening. Enter Applied Behavior Analysis, better known as ABA Therapy. ABA is essentially the de facto insurance-covered mainstream therapy protocol that children diagnosed on the autism spectrum are prescribed most often. The couple was overwhelmed by it, but they were glad that there was an established pathway into a treatment plan, so they proceeded to utilize it with their son. What can an ABA therapy structure help with? According to the Autism Speaks website, ABA therapy can help increase language and communication skills, improve attention, focus, social skills, memory, and academics, and decrease problem behaviors. 
The couple thought this sounded great. They still had a very limited understanding of autism and all of the things mentioned sounded like outcomes that they wanted. So the therapy sessions began and they were hopeful for the future of their son. As time went on, they did notice some things that they didn't particularly like. The therapists were often physically manipulating their son or even securing him as he would often perform behaviors that looked aberrant or out of the ordinary. The therapists would also use small snack foods and candies to reward their son when he performed in the desired manner. Their son was technically improving in the areas that ABA says they help with, but something was missing. It was a difficult thing for the couple to put their finger on. Their son's progress felt a bit empty. It looked robotic and rote. But maybe that was just how it was going to be and as good as it was going to get for their son. Still, something felt off, enough that the couple continued reading about autism and exploring every rabbit hole that existed in order to find a potential better way. The mother decided to dive deep and paid to attend a large out-of-town conference that would have many different personalities and organizations speaking about how they help families with children on the autism spectrum. The conference was several days long, and there was a lot of information to take in, but one presentation she attended blew her away and lit a fire under her. In this presentation, a man was describing how the organization his family founded was helping families to build deeper relationships with their autistic children, as well as recover abilities lost to the diagnosis. What took the young mother aback was that the focus of the therapy was not about training the child to give up the behaviors that made them appear different. In fact, it was quite the opposite. It was focused in teaching the parents how to join the children in those behaviors in order to invite the child out of their inner world and engage with them in the wonder and joy of those behaviors. The therapy was about building connection through joy and in the process, giving the child more opportunities to choose to engage with them and have a shared experience as opposed to an individual experience that so many autistic children are stuck within. This man taught that it wasn't academics and adhering to social norms that they believed parents and children actually sought. It was really the humanity of connection. It was physical touch and eye contact. It was smiles and words of emotion that parents and children were really after. It became quite obvious that being able to do math and keeping from jumping up and down in the middle of a grocery store was really not progress at all. The mother came home from the convention, and the rest is, as they say, history. It was no overnight success, but the missing component had been found. Their son's inorganic dog training progress with ABA then transformed into organic understanding of interacting with others. This story is actually our story. There's much more to it than what is summarized here, but the reason I tell this story is to explain how things are done versus how things should be done. We had initially gone where the system had directed us, and what wasn't apparent to us at the time is that the system has an agenda. The agenda is multifaceted, but the point is that we proved the system wrong. We also know many other parents that have made progress with their autistic children that the system says they should not have been able to make. But something that sticks out for me the most is one of those things that ABA therapy says they can help with. Let's list those again. Increase language and communication skills. Improve attention, focus, social skills, memory, and academics. And lastly, decrease problem behaviors. 
The third one jumps out the most, decrease problem behaviors. We learned that those very behaviors were anything but a problem. Those behaviors were actually the bridge for connection. Certainly if a child is throwing a brick at you, that is a behavior that you can't work with, but that's not what most of these behaviors look like. Most of them are repetitive motions or verbal outbursts, or often they are just the child doing things that they choose on their own and not driven by the adult or anyone else's direction. But how about that? One of the core things that ABA looks at as helping is believed by another therapy to be completely impairing. If we were not open to turning this idea on its head, we might have a 12-year-old robot living in our home today that is just waiting for a gummy bear treat when he stays quiet while we're on a phone call. We change to see the system as something completely different from what we thought that it was, all because of something as simple as to decrease problem behaviors. Fabi, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I had you muted there. Yes. <laughs> the problem. How are you doing tonight? I'm good, Leo. I'm excited about this episode. I'm excited too. So uh, what did you think of that little uh, prelude there? Yeah, that, that brought lots of memories. <laughs> well, and, and uh, you had a little quote that you wanted to read from... Um, Temple Grandin as well. And you found that actually today. And I thought that was kind of apropos uh, for what I had written, because I'd actually already written this, or I was in process of writing it when you found Mm -hmm. that. Do you want to read that for us really quick? And then we can kind of tie those together. Yes. And I want everyone to really pay attention to this, because that's going to set up the whole episode pretty much. So remember uh, this information in this uh, passage of the book, Um, The Autistic Brain by Temple Grandin, which she is probably one of the most, if not the most famous autistic person still living today. True. She is, she might be in her 70s now. Yeah, I know she's getting up there. Yeah. So here it goes. Like neuroimaging, the science of genetics is still in its infancy. In a hundred years, the state of our knowledge today will look primitive. Ask yourself, what would happen if we sent a laptop in a flash drive back in time 100 years? Would scientists be able to figure out how pictures are stored on a flash drive? Let's be generous and give them 100 laptops so they can do some destructive testing. What these scientists would do is get inside the flash drive and take the chip out. They would map the anatomy of the ship. They would give the chip, right? Yep. They would give all parts highfalutin bacilli Latin names. Amygdala, the name of the brain's emotion center, is from the Latin word for almond because that's what it looks like. Hippocampus the name of the brain's file finder, is from the Latin word for seahorse for the same reason. And these scientists would assume that all parts put together are the intel because each PC has intel inside written on it. But these scientists would have absolutely no idea how the flash drive works. That's pretty much where we are today with the brain in the genome. And uh, the reason why 
we walk through these first couple pieces, the one where I was kind of reading about our story, which by the way, our story is much more complicated than that, but, but that is a, a decent summary, um, of, of what we experienced in the first few years of, uh, uh, our son's life, our first son. And, uh, uh, what what stood out most to me with some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, it's about how we understand things to be. And I think I mentioned in there, there's, there's or how we're, where are we are, our pre assumptions. Yeah. Pre assumptions and, uh, how those pre assumptions limit our visibility as far as what is possible mm-hmm. and, uh, and what is not possible and what is not possible. <laughs> and so, um, and then Fabi had that question, quote from Temple Grandin, which we thought was interesting because, uh, um, you know, science is always changing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's making huge advances and, you know, to use the same rules that we used, you know, even a, a few short years ago uh, in what we're doing today and saying that's just how it is, you know, is, is really a little bit short-sighted. And I thought that that really tied into our story really well also because, um you know, the ABA therapy is that de facto, you know, it's that uh, system that's there. And we were have, had great success. And we, we went outside of that system. And um, certainly where we went was not something that we got any insurance coverage for. We got mm-hmm. no recommendations to do it, you know, mm-hmm. from uh, establishment uh, organizations. Well, pretty much on our own. Yeah, I mean, we had to read the material, and we had to say, how did we feel about it? And also, what's most interesting about it is no one else does it for you. The, the therapy that we use, which was called the Sunrise Program, you know, that is one where we had to go get trained on our on our own mm-hmm. at a uh, facility, uh, not with our son. We went ourselves, and then we had to uh, become experts in how to facilitate this, which we certainly weren't at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? It was a parent-led program. Yeah, it's parent-led. And then we had to come back, and then we had to train others to participate in that program with our son. And uh, we did that for, what, four years? Mm-hmm. And the experts thought we were crazy. Yeah. and, and he, But he just continued to make progress and progress and progress and progress and progress. And it was crazy. We were doing the math on it because we were keeping score of the tracking methodology. Mm-hmm. And... And his score kept going down, 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 which it's it's like golf. You want a low score. <laughs> and it just kept going down, down, down. We're like, wow, this is just nuts. You know, it's crazy, uh, the, the progress we're seeing. And, and it was all to the, uh, the dismay of the system. And so what that did for Fabi and I was that really hammered home to always be looking at the way things are done and having a skeptical eye. Now, a lot of people explore why. Explore why exactly. So, so it's okay to do it the way you do it, but you got to understand why you do it that way, and you also have to. But you better have an explanation as to why another way isn't better. You know, you, you okay. or you can't just be willing to not talk about another way mm-hmm. uh, to to eliminate it from the conversation. And I think that's where we're at now in this conversation around this pandemic. And with that said, should we go ahead and, and play that next clip that we want yes. to? Okay, here, let's do that. Okay. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has in many ways helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. <laughs> 
that's kind of all of it. No, 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 no. no. Now, listen, listen. What do you mean by do you mean like, there's, 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 there's a chance that this is created in a lab, there's an investigation. A chance? Well, I there's evidence I'd love to hear. There's a novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know what we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. That's just that's just a little too weird, don't you think? And then the national scientists are like, how did this so wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. <laughs> and you're like, no. I, you, you, the name of your lab, if you look at the name, look at the name, can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the Coronavirus Lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and then it sneezed into my chili and now we all have corona. Like, come on. Okay, okay. What about this? What about this? Wait a second. Oh my God. Oh my God. There's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know. Maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. That could be. Okay, so I think everybody knows who that voice was, and you probably caught that clip. It was been making the rounds. That was the illustrious John Stewart uh, from his uh, history at the Daily Show. He went on the uh, uh, Stephen Colbert Late Show. Uh, they're obviously good friends. Stephen Colbert uh, used to be one of the correspondents on the Daily Show, and now he's got his own late night talk show. And um, what's interesting about that? It's it's. It, there's a lot of different facets about it, and and uh, I want to get your what, what you find interesting. But to me, what jumps out immediately is that John Stewart is uh, first of all he he does not make a ton of public appearances. You know, even though he was very public when he was the host of his show, he does not make a ton of public appearances. And um, for him to come out, first of all, is just strange, and then for him to comment on this because he is a um he's a democrat okay so um i mean i i I would tell you he's he's a fairly level-headed democrat (laughs) but i mean he's a democrat and clearly this has been a political hot potato and we know stephen colbert on his show you know he's been playing up the political overtones around the coronavirus and Fauci and all that, you know, he's, he's like uh, numero uno at the Fauci fan club and everything. And, and uh, uh, so it's really interesting that, you know, one of his good friends, fellow Democrat comes to the show and then essentially goes, what they're saying is, you know, off script, right. And, and basically says what Trump had tried to push out, you know, uh, this time last year, you know, saying that there was this lab leak in China. And so, so that to me, you know, we, we brought up in another episode that we called, uh, uh, if not then, why now? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we did talk about it a little bit, I think even on last week's episode, but, um, there's something really, really powerful going on. And I keep coming, I, I really love how I named that episode. If not, then why now? Because it's still that question that's eating at me, but I think really this weekend it, it, it's cemented in my mind we know why now and really to me 
and again, I'm always open to new information, but but the the now is that if they let this information out when Trump came out with this, number one, they wanted to rail against anything Trump did. Okay, not not as a not saying that as a Trump fan, but I think we know that the media was certainly in the tank for for Biden. Okay, um, and. So they so they couldn't go with what Trump was saying around this China virus thing. Also, they were um, they they were uh, uh, they they hadn't gotten the vaccines out yet. So if they were going to give people like Fauci a bad name and essentially stain that whole system with this lab leak thing last year. Remember, pandemic documentary came out. They censored that. You know, totally took it off. And, and and that documentary basically painted this entire picture last last summer. And so now, where are they at? Well, first of all, you know, they've rammed the mass thing down for the kids for a year in school, and then they have uh, uh, released the vaccines. Uh, and now the vaccines, you know, have been uptaken by many, many million people, right? Uh, I think they want that number to be much, much higher, but but it, it, it's uh, been taken by a lot of people. And the system has now kind of cemented itself. So now they're letting this story come out. And it, it, it's almost like uh, nobody cares. And it's like Fauci's almost being given a pass because it's like the good that he's done with all of this other work around, you know, getting these vaccines out and blah, blah, blah. It's like it supersedes anything. I mean, again, I, I'm, that's my story, but, but this is really blowing me away. And that's really kind of the underpinning of our episode today, because we think that the, I mean, at least I do, and I think you agree, we think that this is a distraction mm-hmm. because to get us talking about something and keep our eye off of what's really going on and and the lab leak is or is part of it, but it's much much more uh, uh, nuanced. What are you, what are you going to say? Yeah. So last uh, week's episode, you brought this this clip up. You just mentioned it, and I had just happened to hear something about it, um, and I said that there's a twist. <laughs> so we want to talk about the twist, like we promised. So, so where do you want to, you want to go ahead and jump into uh, our first clip around the twist? Yeah, so in the documentary, Leah was talking about Plandemic that came out last week that talked... Last year. Last year, sorry, last <laughs> week. <laughs> that talked about uh, the lab in Wuhan, China, and the funding, the gain of function All the patenting, research, yeah. The patenting. It started with this, uh, this man, David Martin, talking... Uh, Dr. David Martin. Dr. David Martin, yes. And we've had a few clips of him speaking, and we explained who he was. Um, And you guys, of course, will have the link to um, his talk about this subject. So he's got a YouTube channel, and he has a a program called Butterfly, a show, a program, (laughs) a show called Butterfly of the Week. And... He discusses the why now. So let's play that clip. Let's take a listen here if I can get my uh, phone open here. Okay. The first observation comes from Kizzy Corbett. Kizzy. He already has good names, doesn't he? Kizzy Corbett is the doctor at the Vaccine Research Center at NIAID. Um, She has been heralded as one of the people 
who was very, very instrumental in the response to the um, January uploading of what was considered to be a, a novel coronavirus. And and I want to read in her own words. It's it's best, I think, if we actually let people use their own words to uh, describe the lead up to the story that we're going to talk about. But here's Corbett in an interview with Francis Collins. Um, and here's what she says. The cool thing about this type of technology, and she's referring to mRNA and DNA technology. The cool thing about this type of technology is you don't even need the lab to design a vaccine. All you need are the letters or the sequence that encodes the virus's genetic material displayed on your computer screen. We could actually do this work from our homes, obviously in close conversation with one another. This sequence is the virus's genetic code. Just like humans have families, brothers, sisters, cousins, viruses also have families. So we could see when looking at the sequence of letters how similar this particular virus was to viruses that we've worked with before in the coronavirus family. It was almost like, aha, this is the part of the sequence that represents the protein on the surface of the virus. Remember, this is a quote from her, and the link to this quote is going to be in all of the supporting documentation, but it's from the director of NIH's blog, June 17th, 2021, for those of you looking for it. We knew that we could take the sequence of that surface protein and use all the knowledge that we had from previous years to design a vaccine. And that's what we did. We took the sequence from our computer screen and said, this is exactly how we want the vaccine to look. The process was as straightforward as that. Now, I'm reading you that and I'm boring you with reading you that because I find it ironic that we've been told that both the DNA and the RNA of this particular outbreak were unique and novel and could not have been done in a laboratory. Hmm. But, there it is. but right here, you actually have the woman who is in fact an instrumental architect of the exact thing that couldn't have happened in a lab saying, oh, it's easy to do in a lab. In fact, you don't even need a lab. Hmm. We can we do can it, it at home. working from home. Let me just, Pause for a second. Remember that we we have now hundreds of now thousands of dollars and, and millions of dollars of, of research going into which hypothesis of what leak could have happened when we have the person responsible for the thing actually making the statement. You don't even need a lab. You don't even need a sample. All you need is just the letters. Yep. And interestingly enough, if you go through her official work, you find that you don't even need the letters. You actually need a computer model hypothesizing what you think the letters are. All right. So, Fabi, why is that significant for you? Well, what he said at the end there. Well, first of all, he said, she said, Kizzy Corbett, the doctor at NIH that was the architect, pretty much, of the mRNA um, sequence contained in the COVID-19 vaccines. You don't even need a lab. All you need is the letters. And remember, my first quote talked about the from the book, The Autis Autistic Brain. Tamp and Grandin talked about how little we know, pretty much nothing 
in its infancy, how little we know about genome sequences. So here you say, you don't even need a lab, or she said, Kizzy. All you need is the letters. If you go, and if you go through her official work, you find you don't even need the letters. You need a computer model hypothesizing what you think the letters are. And I want you to really keep that in mind, a computer model, because we're going to talk about that quite a bit. And I, I want you to also keep the word hypothesis in mind, because we talk a ton about germ theory still being a theory. And so we're going to follow this discussion up <laughs> about, you know, this computer model, the computer model basically being the sequenced um, virus, the sequenced SAR of SARS-CoV-2 virus, which um, the rest of the clips in the show are going to show you that are um, artificially created. <laughs> now the virus is artificially created, created, but the sequence of what the virus supposedly is, what is a computer model. So um, just switching gears for a second. Okay, and let's go back to what we been led to believe about viruses. Okay, so if you ask a doctor or any health practitioners or a layperson, how do you prove the existence of a virus and that it causes disease? So how, how, how you do that? How would you see that, Leo? If I asked you that question, what would you say? Well, I mean, you, you have to find a set of symptoms that a group of people are all uh, experiencing, right? So... Let's say you asked your mom, how does she know that the the coronavirus causes COVID nineteen? What would what would she say? Well, I mean, she would say that that somebody she knew had it uh, met up with somebody else. That person then got sick as well, and so you know that person got sick, had similar symptoms, so it mm -hmm. must have been the the coronavirus. Right, right. And then if you ask the doctor, I mean, if he was honest or a clinician, if they were honest, they would, they would say they don't know, you know, because they can't really um, cite epidemiologic, epidemiological. epidemiological observations. I mean, no, no, sci no scientist thinks that you can use epidemiological data to assume a disease is caused by a virus, okay? And we talked about that a lot in the other two seasons but you know your friend is gonna say what what uh leo said you know they'll probably tell you they uh most most people will probably say um a bunch of people were in the same place together and they all got sick my aunt kathy went to a party uh people at the party were sick and thus she got sick but the problem with the epidemiological observations um you could say, uh, if you were going to say that just by observing a disease was caused by a virus, you could say Hiroshima was caused by a virus because there's all these people in the same places and they just experience the, the same they symptoms, symptoms yeah. and, then, and then they die. Or you would say Chernobyl was caused by a virus, right? Or you would say, 
you know, 200 years ago, we believe uh, that sailors were dying during voyages in the sea. Uh, they would get sick, their teeth would fall out, and then they would they would die. On and multiple boats. Yeah. On multiple boats. So people thought, you know, for sure, it was a disease that was spreading. And one day someone gave a sailor a lemon, <laughs> as Dr. Cowan says, and they discovered scurvy was a nutritional deficiency of vitamin C. And pellagra and beriberi, same story, you know, the, they were diseases that people thought were um, um, in infectious and they were just vitamin B deficiencies. So I wanted to play, I wanted Leo to play a clip of uh, Dr. Cowan again. It's a very important clip. It was a um, seminar. Now, are we doing Cowan? Because I had him as the... the uh, uh, yeah, we're doing the him. Okay, he's mm -hmm. now. Okay. Yeah, and um, he wrote the Contagious Myth book. He's an MD, as we discussed before. And as um, the last clip we played with Catherine Austin Fitz last episode discussing you know a health crisis and the magic virus being used as tools you the know invisible enemy yeah. mm -hmm, the invisible enemy like the war on terrorism now we have the war on the on the virus right an invisible enemy so um this past april they had the contagious myth seminar and um, he is going to discuss in this talk specifically, and we're just going to play a snippet of it, but it's a fascinating talk that we really highly recommend you guys listen to. We're going to put the link in the notes. And, and, and I will tell you, you, you started playing this last night. It was like 11 o'clock, mm -hmm. and I was dead tired from painting all day. And I, and, and, but it was gripping. Mm -hmm. And and he has a way about him, just the humor, you know, that that uh, it's really, really watchable. Yeah, because he really keeps a pretty dumb simple. But the, basically, in this talk, he's going to discuss the lack of evidence of the existence of SARS-CoV-2 virus. Well, and, and it's important to remember, he, he, he was doing a... Uh, like a debate with these yeah. scientists that were brought in kind of to debunk him mm -hmm. and his efforts around this, you know, there's no virus thing. And, yes. and, and he makes the point, it's not in this clip, but he makes the point that they were in agreement on all of these assumptions leading up to really it was here. Right. Uh -huh. And, and so now you'll, you'll, you'll kind of hear his exchanges once they get to this disagreement. Mm -hmm. It's you, Tom, you can't see viruses like that. Viruses are in, intracellular, inside the cell pathogens. So, of course, you can't see them outside the cell because they're only inside the cell. So, being, so this, is, this is, gets back to me as a three-year-old, and I'm thinking, you know, okay. I said, yeah, but how does it get from one person to the next? It gets outside the cell, obviously, and then goes to the next person. And I, I, I said, well, why don't you get somebody to find it then? <laughs> and they didn't say anything. And that was the end of the conversation. So once you found the virus, right, you suck it out, you have the band, you have thousands of copies, then you would expose an animal in the normal way, like not injecting it into their brain, but spray it on them like we say this virus is transmitted and see if they get the same disease. 
Now, that has never happened for the simple reason that nobody ever found the virus in the first place. So they can't possibly do the next step. And because nobody ever found the virus in the first place, you can't possibly have sequenced the genome of this that you haven't found. And you can't possibly have found variants of the genome of a virus that you never found. And by the way, if you don't believe me on this, uh, here's what Christian Drosten said, asked in his paper, what do, you, do you have the virus? He said, we aim to develop and deploy robust diagnostic methodology for use in public health laboratories without having virus material available. He's the guy who came up with the PCR test. He didn't have an example of the virus. The Robert Koch Institute, which is the CDC of Germany, when asked uh, under a freedom of information type request, do you have a paper of the isolation of the SARS-CoV-2 virus? Quote, I am not aware of a paper which purified, isolated SARS-CoV-2. The, the main health laboratory of Australia, when asked under freedom information, do they have an example of an isolated virus, SARS-CoV-2, said, ACT pathology does not have the ability to isolate the virus from patient samples. We do not hold any documents pursuant to your request. The CDC said no quantified virus isolates of the SARS-CoV-2 virus are available. This was in June 2020. Nobody has the virus. There's now been about 10 different freedom of information requests to all the Commonwealth governments, Canada, Australia, Great Britain, all of them have admitted in writing that they have no isolates, no examples of this virus. The four people who wrote the main papers that started this were asked in writing, Do you did you purify and isolate this virus? Because the title of their paper is The Isolation and Purification of the Virus. And they all admit in writing they have no examples. They did not isolate or purify the virus. There is no dispute about this. There is no dispute about this. <laughs> Brain explode. I, I wish you would have let that clip go on. I, I wanted to hear him talk about the, uh, the, the virus. Studies. Well, no, the virus concentrator. I thought that was really well, good. You didn't... That's that. the next. Oh yeah. You didn't do that one. No, but I did do the next. Uh, the next clip will talk about you know how they come up with the sequence. Sure, sure. Which is a. Um, but there are so many good parts about this presentation. Oh, I yeah. mean, it is like, it literally, it, it's almost like watching a stand-up routine that's teaching you something i mean it's it he just has this kind of deadpan about him when he delivers this stuff and the conversations he, he has with these you know virologists that were brought in to debunk him it's just i don't know i mean it's I, hilarious yeah. he just just really keep keeps stupid simple you know like a three-year-old would get it <laughs> yeah. explain it to them but after that uh, segment he goes into all the studies all the papers that were written saying the virus was isolated 
Okay, so if you guys want to listen to that, that's really great. But this next clip I wanted to play. So it was actually based on this seminar. Um, it was done by a channel called Space Busters. I don't know why they're called Space Busters. I tried to get more information on them. and There was just not a whole lot. Um, but they're on BitChute, of course. They probably got kicked out of YouTube, I'm sure. But it basically explains... Uh, what an in silico sequence is, okay? An in silico based meaning in a computer. And uh, he's going to have an example paper that he talks about uh, in the clip. And I, I also highly recommend you guys just uh, watching the clip because it explains pretty simply with graphs and everything how this whole thing went down, <laughs> down to the variance, what the variance mean. So it was really great. So Leo, go ahead, play the video. But since viruses are fictional make-believe organisms, virologists have to invent a make-believe full genome in a computer, which they call an in silico genome, like this paper. In silico-based whole genome phylogenetic analysis of SARS-CoV-2. In silico means in a computer simulation, virtual reality, fabricated, make-believe, fictional, completely made up, or simply imaginary. You'd be understandably frightened if fireologists told you an in silico fire was raging down your street and heading towards your house until you go outside and see there is no fire because it is an imaginary computer simulated in silico fire just like COVID-19 is an in silico virus virologists took the genetic snot soup sample from a sick person in a Wuhan China hospital with atypical pneumonia they built an in silico COVID-19 virus genome in their computer using the blast tool mixing the previously in silico made imaginary sequences of SARS, Wuhan Hu-1, and bat coronavirus RATG-13, and then they told the computer to rearrange that sick person's genetic snot soup sample until it matched the new SARS-CoV-2 sequence their computer made up. If you wanted to, you could tell the blast tool to put in the genetic sequence of a banana and the computer would rearrange anybody's genetic snot soup fragments until they matched a full banana genome. Since no two people on earth have the same exact genetic fragments floating around in their snot, every time you tell the computer to rearrange someone's snot into the made-up in silico COVID-19 genome template, the computer will have to do it slightly differently than the original Wuhan person, making errors and having to fill in the blanks along the way. And they call this virus mutations, showing us brainwashed imbeciles wearing hazmat suits to protect them from an in silico computer glitch, variations or mutated strains, and scare you into taking endless injections each year to protect you from the newest deadly make-believe in silico mutation. Selling people fire insurance for make-believe fires. Okay, so 
this, uh, I think, I thought that was a pretty good clip, but uh, but uh, it could still probably get lost on people a little mm-hmm. bit. But essentially, when they're looking through the like mucosal mm-hmm. uh, sample or whatnot, they're getting all of this genetic material, okay? And, mm-hmm. and so it's a lot of fragments, mm-hmm. right? So they're taking those fragments, which, um, first of all, they can't find the whole virus, right? Mm-hmm. So they're taking... Uh, these all these little snippets and then what they are doing is so if you think of all those snippets they're all just like a group of letters right mm-hmm. a t c g okay all of these different uh, codes for for uh, uh, you know genetic material and they are literally taking the sum total of these fragments and cutting up all those letters mm-hmm. and then just trying to line up those letters with where their counterparts exist on this other template yeah, a the, template. A template so that they have. They said was the COVID, the SARS-CoV-2 sequence. Okay, so they basically forced all these letter scrambles to match this sequence well, that they also made in the computer. And I think Cowan makes an interesting point, which um, it really wasn't clicking for me until he made this point. And he's like, I, th- I think it was him, but he was saying, uh, he goes, if they, he goes, they, they came out with this, and said, okay, look, this is a coronavirus, mm-hmm. but they could have just as easily come out and said that it was a measles virus. And then mm-hmm. they could have used the measles, just like this gentleman in this clip is using the banana as mm-hmm. an example. They could have taken a template of a measles virus and then took all of these genetic snippets and then cut all of those letters as we talked about from from early on, you know, mm-hmm. is, is that all you need are the letters, and then just match those letters up with where those letters exist on the uh, measles template, and then the the uh, uh, computer would just fill in any gaps that 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 exist after that, and then you could match. And the whatever measles. didn't match exactly, they just call variant. They called a variant. The lambda. So <laughs> variant the delta, the African, the Indian, the. So, so I mean, that really blew me away. Is like, okay, so they had an assumption of this from the get go that this was a coronavirus. This was really, really early in this. Like, okay, this is a coronavirus, but they they hadn't seen the the virus. They had not, and they still do not have samples and of they the say virus. They can't see it. They said we can't see it. So, well, and, and, well, and, because there's just not enough there, so we can't see it. And so. that was why I really wished you had that clip because they they they, they he talked about when he was talking to these these guys. He's like, Cowan, okay, well, right? yeah, Cowan was saying, you know, well, so how much virus because they said okay you can't see it because there's not enough of it mm-hmm. so he goes well how much then do we need i mean if we have samples from a hundred people because there are these things called virus concentrators which essentially take the the sum total specimens from from groups of people and then put them together so that you can amplify and see uh what's going on he goes if we had a if we had the samples from a hundred people would we be able to get enough virus to to see it no then he, he basically went through and said, what if we had 1,000? What if we had 10,000? What if we had 100,000 samples? So 100,000 different people, would we be able to see the virus? And they still said And they still said no. no. You would and not be able to see it. the reason they said it was because the virus is inside the cell. And they're like, okay, well, so if it's inside the cell, how does it go to the next person? Yeah, how's it transmitted? And then they said, well, duh, it goes outside the cell. And then he asked the the next 
Why don't you capture it when it gets Why outside the cell? Why can't it get it done? <laughs> you know, I, and then they just went silent. I mean, this is this is nutty. I mean, I hope that that this is clicking here. And I, and so so I, I really want to um, tie this in because we played that clip from mm-hmm. Amanda Vollmer last week, which yeah. um, you know I think we'd all agree that was a pretty incendiary clip. I mean, she goes a lot of directions in that. Yeah. So Amanda, ADV. If you remember, if you listen to her, her clip, if you haven't, please listen again. But she basically said, you know, figure out, guys, unravel each mystery. And this is, I think, one of the most important mysteries in this whole thing. You know, how did they come up with the sequence? What What is the sequence? What is it? And so just going back to what, uh, first of all, what Temple Grandin was saying in her book, she said, we don't know. We know like, very little. Very little. Like in its infancy. We're not sure, you know, what this is. And then David Martin was discussing in the beginning about the lab leak. And and by now, we hope you, were, you may be asking the question about this twist. Because why are we still talking about distractions instead of talking about the thing? The elephant in the room. If there is no virus, and this is all a computer in silico simulation, what are we doing? Well, so, yeah. So, 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 take a step back a minute and remember that uh, that uh, Doctor Kizzy. I can't think of her full name. Kizzy. Kizzy but, Co- yeah, you got her in Colbert. here. Kizzy Colbert, um, yeah, and and I'll post the the blog. Kizzy Corbett, Kizzy Corbett, Kizzy, Kizzy and so Corbett. so she says, you know, you don't even need a lab. All you need are the letters, the the code, right? Mm-hmm. And so and that's really what happened, right? Is so so. But so, they're assuming. But they're assuming that, that, that the hypothesized sequence is correct. Is this virus that's causing this disease? So now you you are creating a uh, these, these scientists and she's basically confirming this these these scientists are creating a vaccine or they've created multiple vaccines um off of a baseline that they've never seen in the mm-hmm. lab they've never seen it and and, and so they, because they've never seen it they can't pro- they can't prove it causes disease they can't prove it causes disease and so I mean, this is it, it is it's a mi- theoretical theoretical virus. virus, and so this is what's mind numbing about this. And I know a lot of you are probably saying, "Oh, come on, you know, science, <laughs> come on, baby, science, science." You're probably putting your science shirt on, and you're just like, "Hey, science, science, come on!" You know, everybody the, knows. Everybody knows this. You <laughs> know, viruses cause disease, and, as and we know, uh, the sun shines. I, I mean, I got to be honest with you. I almost thought about just audio recording uh, Cowan's entire. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I think it was an hour and 20 minutes or yeah, something. Yeah, because I'm sure it'll be pulled off YouTube very quickly. So go ahead and watch it if you can. I mean, it is so good. And when you understand the mechanics of this and how if we don't have the baseline correct and we are developing drugs and countermeasures based on this computer simulation, then number one... Who created that? I mean, we, we all said initially they did this off of the um, the genome, um, uh, uh, you know, the output that the Ch- that China provided. You know, that was the mm-hmm. first you know the yeah. first case, right? So, I mean, 
uh, I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm pretty sure we've got we've all got challenges with China. Okay, for many yeah. different reasons. So they've provided the code. It's not a matter of okay, yeah, this started in China. Somebody got sick in the U.S. and then somebody found the virus and then uh, 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 went through the the genome mapping of that. No, no, this is the code was provided by China. You know the the, the genome, mm-hmm. and then they immediately started to uh, they they honed in on one part that they believed was the spike protein, and they began making the uh, developing the vaccines uh, for um, the creation of the spike protein in people. But what you have to understand here is if we don't have the virus correct in the beginning with that code, then what are we developing and what are we delivering to millions of people in a vaccine? Mm-hmm. What in the hell is that? Yeah, we're going to post um, a link to a specific study. It's called In Silico Comparative Genomics of SARS-CoV-2. It was done in England, in, in um, India. Well, actually not India. It was Bangladesh. And if you go to the section called Materials and Methods, there's a part that says genome sequence acquisition and they explain how it was acquired and basically said you know there were several sequences isolated in 27 countries and when they say isolation they really don't mean isolation well and and that's an important part i i do think didn't we in one of ours we yes. had we had cowan talking about okay here's about how what thing this he, is a spoon yeah yeah <laughs> here, here's how you would think they would they would isolate something but what, what's interesting is that in these circles of um you know specific practices like in the field of virology they've actually taken words that you and i use and they've basically redefined them and so within the practice of virology isolation no longer means what you and i believe isolation to mean you you and i would think okay isolation is to completely separate the mm-hmm. one thing from everything else yes. and and that is not what it means anymore it basically uh it basically means you you've the computer does the work the computer does the work you you, you have uh, no uh, labs needed you, you've basically created a soup of a bunch of junk and then a computer has gone in and tried to make sense of the soup. The blast tool. The blast tool to try to make sense of the soup. And so, and w- which actually the blast tool just compares it to a template. Yeah. It, it, so, so again, we talked about assumptions early mm-hmm. on in this. So, I mean, if you assume, okay, this needs to be a coronavirus, then you're plugging in the template of a coronavirus. And like in that clip, they mentioned they used the previous SARS-CoV-1 mm-hmm. template. Yeah, but Which they, God knows how that one. But but they, <laughs> they but they, but they just as easily could have used the measles or the HIV. herpes virus or HIV, and they could have got they could have cut those letters up that were in the the soup that they collected, and they could have matched it up, and uh, 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 and then just filled in the remaining blanks that that because the that that's literally uh, how up in the air this is, so. The reason why we bring that up is 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 um, it's all in how you you frame it. Okay, so so if you frame like we we talked about in the story at the beginning, if you frame the behaviors that the child does that it's autistic mm-hmm. as bad behaviors, mm-hmm. okay, or problem behaviors, um, 
or actually, what, what, how do we, they, they it, yeah, undesirable. Pro, yeah, it was problem behaviors, problem behaviors. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're going into those interactions with that child. Oh, there's a problem. There's a mm-hmm. problem. There's a problem I have yeah. to, I have to correct. I've got to fix. I've got to fix. So you're not even looking at the possibility that that behavior is the bridge. Okay. That can get you to connection with that child. Okay. You're wearing horse blinders, all right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what's going on here. Now, I would tell you that it's happening here with um, COVID on purpose, okay? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I would tell you that, that virology in general has a big problem. And he, he talks about that uh, at length as far as uh, uh, they couldn't make anybody sick with any uh, believed infectious virus, uh, uh, you know, back in the day. And then all of a sudden... Um, what was the guy's name? Uh, I can't think of the scientist now uh, that he, he, he discussed how he came up with this. You know, he used milk. Uh, uh, did you fall asleep at that point in the no. presentation? What was it? Lanka? Was not Lanka. Lanka. No, no. This was back in the 50s. You know, that was the guy that yeah, changed how yeah, they did it. I don't you know, remember his he, name. He, he used um, um, uh, milk on a swab. So he says, well, uh, don't you think if you're trying to isolate genetic material the last thing you want to do is add new genetic material into the mix and so what happened from 1954 on with all of this new way of testing is they're adding all these new genetic materials whether it's monkey kidney cells or or in the case of that particular scientist initially he used milk Um, i mean it's just nuts it's like okay so now you've got this additional genetic material in the mix so how do you know and you're and you're not Again, you're not isolating. You're not separating. So how do you know what caused what? What came from what? What came from what? What, what, <laughs> what sequence came from what? I mean, it, it, it will blow you away. I mean, I have not seen something as interesting as this program. Again, we're linking to it. We hope that you uh, uh, check it out. I just thought there was a quote uh, from Mark Twain, I guess, that I read this week. And I wanted to read it again. Oh, okay. Quote says, it's easier to fool a person than to convince them that they have been fooled. Yeah. And I think that's the case when we ask the question, how do all these virologists and all these scientists, how can they not Well, we, we were talking about that and, and we're like, what, what the hell's going on here? But then we were talking like about the ABA therapists too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're like, we're like, you know, they don't know that i mean i would tell you most aba therapists don't even know the sunrise program exists mm-hmm. okay and so so well, when it's you, a competition <laughs> well but, but i mean but, but i'm saying most of them don't even know it exists they have yeah, no idea yeah. that it even exists and so so it's not that they're not open to it it says they have zero visibility no they just can't think that it would work yes well when you bring because it up because yeah. they're coming from the premise that we need to stop. We need to stop these behaviors. behaviors. Yeah. And we can't be open to engaging with the child. Yeah. And so I know, again, I know we, we come back to the same point and Cowan uh, dives into it a little bit in his uh, lecture there. But, um, you know, people are saying, okay, well, people are, are getting sick. You know what I mean? So what's going? Well, we well, would, we talked about that we would talk so about much. no, no, we did, we did. But I just want to say, you know, there are phases of this because some people are coming to this podcast new. True. You know what I mean? They're not listening to everything before. And mm-hmm. there are phases of this. You know, there was when this came about initially, and I think you and I were totally in the camp that that this was uh, uh, 
an exacerbated flu. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it was being blown out of proportion. Uh, um, and then, um, I mean, we were seeing a few anomalies, but I mean, by and large, it was it was uh, an exacerbated flu. But then once the vaccines were rolling out, now we are turning all of these people into spike protein, or at least what is Factories, perceived to be spike yeah. protein. Who the hell knows what it really yeah, is? Yeah, we don't know what but, it is. But a spike protein factories and the output of having this spike protein floating around everywhere, not only in people's bodies, but, but just, you know, out in the mix, who knows who, who has any clue? I mean, again, I keep thinking of more parts from that lecture. I want to bring up, you Mm -hmm. just got to go listen to it. I I would put that lecture uh, as what we would call it. One of our required reading uh, lists, (laughs) you know, I mean, it is just that good. Required watching material. Oh goodness. You're giving people homework now. And now uh, they all probably think we're completely nuts. So what you mean? There is well, no virus. But 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 this this is where you um, this is where you leave the reservation, right? Because mm-hmm. you you either say that okay, you have to have proof, okay, to to move forward with these measures, these countermeasures. Mm-hmm. You have to have a sample of the virus, okay. You've got to have a sample of the virus that was originally worked with. I mean, it, to say that a hundred, you you can take. You can take um, a, a sample from a hundred thousand people and still not have enough virus to be able to, to 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 prove it exists is is just a nutty thing. You know what I mean? So, but it's because it's inside the cell. It's, <laughs> then why don't you just yeah? You know, when, when when you're transmitting it, why don't you just? But yeah, it's it's so small we can't see it. But we but we Occ- hey, comes hey, razor. It's so small we can't see it. But these masks are keeping it. Oh, out yes, of the air supply exactly. okay i mean God, this just my mind is going 40 different ways and i'm like come on people come on all right well hey we are at an hour anything else that you wanted to uh wrap up on this episode yeah so we will continue to explore that in more in our upcoming episodes so continuing to attempt to figure this out as we unravel each mystery and i hope you hang on with us because The ride has just begun. All right. That's another episode of the Collective Resistance Podcast with your host, Leo and Fabi. Fabi, what do you want to tell everybody? Hey, stay healthy, stay safe, stay curious.